Welcome to another show of just jujitsu. This is our sixth episode. I am Andrew Dizamoni, and I'm here with... Kryler Gracie. You paused as if you were questioning whether you should say your name or not. Well, after the last time when you called somebody daddy on the show, <laughs> like, I, I am questioning my ability to be here. <laughs> I was going to get to this later, but we, we should probably address... Um, Last episode, we gave a shout out to grappling dads, Kip and Paul, who are friends of ours. I don't know if you call them friends. I don't. I don't call them friends. Yeah, they're people that we see on a monthly basis and unfortunately have to listen to on a weekly basis because of their podcast. Croiler, his role with those guys is, would you say you're the creator of the podcast? I I would say that. I'll go as far as that. Maybe you didn't create it. But you've you've been the bones and the muscle of the podcast, sure. and they're like the fat and the yeah. saggy skin. Yeah, on I, it. I, I'd go with that. I okay. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we just uh, I was have you listened to their podcast from yeah, this yeah. this week? Yeah, the newest one. Yeah, yeah. I did. They it was good, guys. Um, but I I think we can set ourselves apart from them, and they were very hateful and aggressive towards people who are comfortable on their feet and like takedowns. Right. I capable was, people. What's that? Capable people. Capable people. I just wanted people to know that our podcast is a sanctuary for all kinds of jujitsu that's efficient and Correct. sound has sound technique. Yeah. Whether you like to play guard or you like to take people down. Right. We'll accept anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think Rappling Dads is planting their flag in the ground and coming out against a lot of people who just do what they want to do, uh, whether it's on the feet or who, who knows where. I think they, I don't know if they said build a wall against um, the takedown people, but that was the sentiment that I got. That was the exact sentiment I got. Let's separate ourselves from them. So if you're coming to this show from Grappling Dads, just know that we are here for you and to help you and... We're just here to make you better. We're not going to hate on you. Those guys, those guys are just mean. I think you called them daddy last time. I didn't call them daddy. No, no I called them daddy you last did. time. Yeah. Okay. They're like stepdaddy. Just, they're, they're a little little rough. So guys, if you're coming here from that show, thanks for listening. And we promise that we'll, we'll do our best to entertain you. And shout out to Grappling Dads. Listen to the podcast every week, released on Thursday. Yes. <laughs> Today's episode is about control. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's all sorts of different styles of control and what a control actually means, right? That's right. People have different ways of exhibiting control. There's the control of keeping someone stationary and securing them and not allowing them to move. And then there's also the aspect of control of moving them around in a direction that you right. moving them to where you want them to be. For me, every, there are different techniques and strategies. I like to use, oh, let's say, like cross-collar grips and compliment the person. I have a physical, emotional, psychological control that I like to use oh. on people. Oh, so, yeah? yeah, maybe I'll cross-collar, say, hey, your eyes look extra bright today. And they go, oh, thank you. And it kind of sets them back. And then I collar drag really hard. They come flying down to the mat. Wow. Maybe I take their back. I hop on 
I latch, I get my hooks on. And then at this point, I will always research the people I roll with. So I know insults that will truly mess with them psychologically. And that, okay. at that point, I'll whisper into their ear some just soul shattering insult. And as they rear their head back because of the sobs, I'll slide my wrist underneath the neck and I sink the choking. I'll have to try that strategy. It sounds bulletproof. You're not utilizing all your tools Clearly. in control if you're only using the physical tools. Yeah, I, I, yes. So maybe in this episode, you can talk about the physical tools and then I'll talk about how to properly research uh, people <laughs> at your school to, to systematically break them down mentally. So, sounds good. I did, I did have a guy years ago, his name was Kurt. He was a, uh, he was a, uh, he got, he went all up to blue belt with, with, with at our school and he, uh, he was an interesting guy. Like you could roll with him. And he was okay. He was an okay blue belt. And if you tapped him or you swept him or you did anything to him that was completely disadvantageous to his position, he'd go, oh, my God, you're awesome. This was incredible. That was like any choke. This was the tightest choke ever. Any lock. He's like, oh, man, I could feel my arms breaking. That was that was good. I mean, you're just incredible. You're just so awesome. You're just so wow. And like... It kind of disarmed me because part of me is just like, I don't want to have to get another compliment from this dude. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's what you're talking about. So it was like negative reinforcement for every time you, well, I guess it was positive. It was positive, but it was just so It was positive, positive reinforcement that had a negative effect on you. Yeah, yeah. So that's another way to do things. Yeah. Maybe you guys can like, you know, trade ideas or something. I'll give, I'll give them a call. Like I said, different ways of control. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So... Controlling, you know, how, how to control somebody. There are there are several different approaches to control and several different definitions of control. You know, you have the physical, the 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 easily noticeable control where somebody holds somebody down, right? Um, like you mentioned earlier, and that's you know, or 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 hold somebody in a position, maybe not necessarily down, but in a position. And then you have control where you may be able to manipulate an opponent into perf- or into moving in a certain way or into reacting a certain way so that you can then play off of that reaction. You also have control of, of the pace. You know, um, some people that are in this, you know, that are faster, you know, they have better cardio, they may want to push the pace of the fight in order to control how fast, how, how energy costly that fight is. And if your opponent is not as, you know, good a shape as you are, they can burn your energy. And that's a form of control. You know, they're controlling the, the pace of the fight the same way that somebody who is not as energy driven, maybe if they slow down the pace, they can then implement a different form of control where the person that's fast cannot. And they have to use different kinds of muscles to, to move and maybe they'll get tired. Do you see control as something offensive or defensive? Both. Okay. Both. Oh, absolutely both. If we start with like offensive control, right? Meaning I want to impose my will onto somebody. Um, the the thing we need to understand is there, there's the old adage in jiu-jitsu of position before submission, right? And I think that's poorly translated. I think it's also um, translated that way on purpose so that it sells easier, it rolls off the tongue easier position before submission mm-hmm. you know it, it makes sense sounds nice it. yeah it sounds great it's good marketing yeah um but the reality is you know in order to 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 submit somebody to show enough control to submit somebody what you're really doing is you're 
establishing mechanical dominance in a position, right? You're then isolating a target area, whether it's a limb or a neck or whatever. Um, in a sweep, you'd be unbalancing the, the, the target area. And then you once it's isolated and you have mechanical control, then you would apply a finishing maneuver, right? Uh, whether it's a choke, a lock, uh, to actually sweep the person, whatever the case may be. Um, I think that's really what position before submission means. And it's really a breakdown of what control truly is, right? So you create mechanical dominance, you isolate the target, and you execute the technique. That doesn't roll off the tongue as easy. <laughs> it it would, wouldn't make as good of a t-shirt. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you'd write a whole paragraph to explain position before submission. Yeah. Now, to get all these things, all this control, this, the positions, I guess there are probably some key things to truly control a person. When I think of control, one of the first thing that comes to my mind would be grips. Whenever we're at, I'm at school rolling, you'll always mention grips, grips, grips. Break the grips, get your grips. Right. Why are grips so crucial to controlling? Well, in the gi, and, and no gi too, really, a grip allows you to have a connection to your partner. And that connection then is the, the, the first step to controlling somebody. You know, you can't hold somebody down if you're not touching them, right? And generally speaking, in order to better control, there are going to be spots in the body that are better to grab neck, elbows, wrists, knees, heels. Testicles. Sure. I have not tried that one. But That's no gi, right? I, no, I still oh, not- haven't tried that one no gi either, oh. but you can, you let me know how that strategy works out for you. I've been watching the wrong YouTube videos. I think so. Are you sure it's, it's YouTube videos? <laughs> Is Pornhub YouTube? No. Those are different. Those Never are mind. different. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> um, when you, when you talk about a grip, so if I grab a collar grip, it's not just a grip on your gi. The collar grip does so much more than that. It allows me to apply weight to your neck, to your head. It allows me to push you back through the collarbone. It allows me to stop you from coming in by blocking the collarbone. It allows me to turn your chest or rotate your upper body, which throws off your center line. Um, so it's not just because you grabbed cloth. You know, it's it's that's not the key. It's what all you can do with that connection. And yes, I think the firm first form of control in any control is is grip fighting, you know. And as you go up through the ranks, that becomes more and more important. So if you take two two white belts, right, and you put them one in guard and one in in you know using close guard, and you say fight, usually those guys are pushing biceps, and the guy in the bottom is trying to get like an arm bar, and he's just throwing up his legs up in the air, mm-hmm. and nothing works and then you go up to like two black belts in guard and most of their fight is not for the armbar it's not for the sweep it's not for the choke or the submission they're just fighting for proper grips right because they know that if they got the proper grip that first initial step if that first initial step is correct then they can proceed to the second step and that's why most people who don't know anything about jujitsu see a black belt match and probably watch it and think this is so boring. Absolutely. What's happening? You think, oh, the best of the best. I can't wait to see this. They sit down and you see guys, like you said, fighting for grips, which 
if you know the intricacies, you watch it and you're mesmerized and you're going, oh, he has to get this here before he can go right. on to this point. But to someone just watching with no knowledge. Yeah. I mean, for 90, 99% of the population watching, you know, even the, the, the Munjals, the world tournaments, right? They're incredibly boring because there's nothing happening. It's much more fun to watch the little kids or, or the women's because there's a huge mismatch. Mm-hmm. So in women's uh, jiu-jitsu, there are girls that have been in it for like 10 or 15 years who are very, very good. And there's girls that just started like five years. And they're in, so they're in the same same brackets, right? And there's a huge mismatch of, mm-hmm. of level there. So it's they're both black belts, but they're not, you know? Right. And those huge mismatches are with the kids. Sometimes you have a kid who develops a little bit sooner who may be 10 or 11 years old, but is much further along in development than the 10 or 11-year-old he's fighting. So there's a mismatch. So those are the fun matches to watch. Yeah, if if you go to a competition, sitting down and watching the kids' matches are always fun. Yeah. Because it is acrobatic. It's wild. I've sat down and watched jiu-jitsu matches with, it's been like black belts, and I've been with, people who don't know anything about jujitsu and they watch and they just think they they'll say stuff like why aren't they are they trying why aren't what are they doing are they not are they just practicing right now because it looks like all these small motions and you think that when you're at a high level and you're going hard that would mean big overarching like swinging of arms and momentum shifts and a lot of time it is those tiny little battles with just wrists and and you know people don't don't understand that so Yes, unless there's a huge mismatch at a black belt level, it is very boring to watch unless you know what you're looking at, you know. With the gi and no gi, you have grips in both scenarios. With the gi, it tends to be, I think, it's more obvious what your grips will be, where your grips are. It's more subtle with the no gi. Right, So, and, and that goes into tempo, right? So we talked about like pace of the fight, tempo of the fight, right? And with the gi there are an infinitely larger number of grips that can be made than in nogi where it's body on body only there's no cloth to grab so if you look at like Keenan cornelius with his lapel guard right he's got warm guard and you know the the like four or five different styles of, of the lapel guard which really all he's doing is weaving the lapel and creating a new grip in a different way and those grips, should they be achieved, they're very tough to beat. Um, you know, obviously he's very successful with that, and you can see it. But what comes down to it is the lesser number of grips in nogi leads to athleticism becoming a bigger factor in the fight. So in nogi, there are still grips; they are subtle, more much more subtle than in the gi, but the pace of the fight tends to be faster because there aren't as many grips to worry about too. If you think of a a match being 95% technique and 5% athleticism, right? In an ideal world, right? You'd be, your your ability to be 95% technique, 100% technique even, with just a smidge of athleticism in there. In Nogi, because the number of techniques that are available drops, right? There's significantly less techniques in Nogi than there are in the Gi. Mm. Then somebody who does not know as much is already closer to the person that knows 
There's not as much of more. a disparity. Correct. Te- Technique-wise, right? So right. if you take a blue belt in that only trains no gi and a black belt that only trains no gi, those two will be much closer together, not in ability, but in t- number of techniques that they know, right? Versus the blue belt and the gi and the black belt and the gi. The disparity because of the number of techniques being larger is huge. So like like we we're mentioning, because of that, if the number of techniques is the only difference between the two, they can buffer that difference a whole lot more effectively with athleticism than they could in the gi. So the pace changes, you're right. But it's also due to the lack of grips, lack of ability to slow down your opponent or control them. But then back to our point, so we stay on topic. We're not the grappling dads. We don't lose focus here, right? <laughs> <laughs> we, we love the grappling dads as much as we love to dump on them also. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so gripping. So once you've achieved proper grips, then you can start using those grips to set up better forms of control, meaning creating better angles, better pressure, better... Um, mechanical efficiency for us and mechanical and mechanical deficiency for them um so with the proper grips you can sweep somebody you can get on top you can put your hooks you know which is a form of gripping you can anchor yourselves to them you can apply a lot of pressure and weight that way and, and things of the sort okay we could easily talk about grips for a very long time oh i could yeah we could do this whole thing on the grips yeah we could, that would be very easy for you um, <laughs> listeners would be like, okay, we get it. Grips. Talk about something else, please. Another big part of control. You can agree or disagree. Managing distance. Absolutely. Yes. That was a good one. Sometimes I know things. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah. The person that controls distance controls damage. I think Hanner coined that sentence uh, a few years ago. And it's a, a very simple way of explaining the idea that if I can dictate how close I am to you or how far I am to, I can also dictate how much damage I'm able to give you and how much damage you're able to give me. And not only in a self-defense sense, that's easy to picture like with punches, right? Mm-hmm. But also just in grappling too. If, you know, if somebody's trying to, you know, take my balance by pulling my head forward and I become top heavy so I get I get swept they're trying to close that distance if I can stay away then I'm in control I'm not getting swept my base is good you know if I'm on side mount and I want to make sure that the person on the bottom is not moving I want to remove as much space between myself and them so that they can't move you know that is a form of control the person on the bottom on the on the flip side of that wants to create frames so that I cannot remove that distance between us and then they can work out from under us with that space something that you're particularly good at i enjoy that and i would die every single match if i couldn't manage distance because there are a lot of downsides to being small but one of the positives is you just need to create a little bit of distance and that's enough for a small need to pop in or, or to do something that initiates your escape or the sweep or the submission. Right. right. And, and, and that is a form of control, right? If I can't hold you down and you're able to move as you please, then I am not controlling you. So do you think of someone, let's say being on their back, some, uh, the opponent is in side control, the guy on their back is bumping and shrimping and starting to retain guard. Are they exerting control? 
in your opinion, or would that be something different? That's a, that's an argument. That's a good one. Uh-huh. Um, well, I think I, I look at it this way: if I'm if I'm on top of side mount, right, and somebody frames really well, and they start to shrimp on get guard back, right? That's the, the scenario, and I'm on top. I have to I have to very quickly do a analysis of the situation. So, can can I remain where I'm at without any adjustments and still maintain side mount? Meaning your guard escape is, you know, meaningless. Mm-hmm. If that's the answer, then I'm still in control. If no, I cannot. Meaning I have to adjust and. The moment that I am forced to react in a way that I don't want to react, then I've lost control for that split second, right? Now, it, how I react to the loss of control will either give me more control or less control. So if you shut your shrimp out, I'm like, oh, shit, Andrews is escaping. I need to hold him, you know, and I cannot just stay here. I have to react to his shrimping out and his guard attempt. If I am successful in my counterattack because now I'm counterattacking your escape, then maybe I'm in control again, mm. right? Now, if my counterattack is unsuccessful and you escaped, even if it wasn't a guard, even if you got just a half guard, you improved your position where my position, you know, diminished, right? So mm. you're in control. I'm reacting to you at that point. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes sense, yeah. That's the way I look at it. Who's, who's on the winning side of the exchange there? When I think of control and managing distance, I... Also, the first thing that will come to mind would be passing. I think of mm-hmm. someone holding someone's legs, moving them side to side, pinning them down, pushing away, creating mm-hmm. distance, and then quickly shooting in. Mm-hmm. That's that's a very aggressive type. The guard pass, I think, is a great example of managing distance and control. When you think of control in jiu-jitsu, what comes to mind as far as actions? For me, it's Guard passing. I don't know why. I think of someone just manipulating the opponent's guard and passing to the side. See, to me, like, in my mind, when somebody says control, I, I think of it like, can I exert my... Do I have... To me, control, if somebody says, like, are you controlling the fight? What comes to my mind is not necessarily a position, but the idea of am I exerting my will on them or are they exerting their will on me, right? Mm-hmm. If they're capable of exerting their will on me, I am not in control. I, I have effectively lost my ability to impose will on them. So if I'm grappling with somebody, if I start on my feet and I get this incredible wrestler who can shoot through me, you know, so he shoots a double leg. If I can't stop that double leg, if I can't stop his ability to take me down, I am not in control at that moment, mm-hmm. right? So that's the way I look at it is like, who's exerting will onto him? If I'm playing your game and you're beating me at it, you're in control. So that metric works for you evaluating your role with someone because you can tell what your plan is if you're able to execute it. How do you, when you're watching other people, determine who is the person in control? Obviously, sometimes you can tell when someone's getting smashed or manipulating someone, but in more of an ev- a battle that's a little more uh, even ground, what are the things you're looking for to say, ah, that person's executing their plan, that person is in control? So if, I, if, if I'm looking at a match, right, I, I put myself in both, both people's places and I think, okay, what would I do in that situation, right? What are the likely threats in position A versus position B? 
and then I look, okay, if, if those are the likely threats, who is closer to applying that threat in a real situation, causing a real reaction out of it? And the control at that stage, if they're evenly matched, may switch back and forth on who's in control. You know, and that's that's the the cool thing. Like we talked about the black belts being kind of like boring to watch, right? And that's because the grip fighting, that's a form of control. I get my grip, you break my grip, you get your grip, I break your grip. And that cycle continues. It's boring to the outsider, but to the person that knows what's happening, that every time a grip is lost or a new grip is achieved, there's a shift in who's in control there. So when I'm watching two people, I, I look at who is closer to achieving their goal. And that goal may shift very fast, right? If, mm -hmm. if something happens during the exchange. Okay. So that's kind of how I look at it. And it's, it's tough to say 100% every time, but you, you can usually, you know, be pretty accurate with it. Okay. I made my list of key elements in my head of control. I'm going through them now to see. We, we did the grips, managing distance, angles. Would you Absolutely. include angles as a big part of that? Yeah. God, I am on today. Yeah, I don't know what you did. <laughs> she did. <laughs> um, angles are very important because they will increase and decrease mechanical efficiency, right? So if I'm like, like, like I tell people, and I've told you, you've heard me say this, I'm not very strong for my size but I feel very strong, I feel very heavy, I feel very fast because I'm usually achieving better angles than the people I'm grappling against, right? Um, Is that why every time we finish training for the night, you make people carry you to your car? No, I don't do, I don't make people do that. Yeah, he, he gets done and then he just goes, done, and like he puts his arms up like, like a baby and then we have to get like two or three people on each side and we just kind of drag him out to his car, that, and then someone has to drive him home in his car. <laughs> it, it's gotten disruptive, but... that That is as real as the 30-day promise. Thank you for reminding me, folks. We have not quite hit 30 days, but we're getting close. Please check your calendars, and please contact us, send us emails, and we'll figure out the travel plans and itineraries. But thank you. Thank you. Those are lies. That. Those okay. are lies. Don't listen to them. <laughs> angles. Angles. So, yeah. So if, I, if I'm able to create angles that are better, they're mechanically more efficient than yours, I will feel stronger. I will feel heavier. I will feel faster. I will feel tighter. And that is a gigantic component of control because... If I'm capable of always having the better angles, I don't have to have any energy usage, any high level of energy usage to be able to drain yours, right? So I think I think Hal said it today in class. He said jujitsu is about draining the person's energy, right? It's not about outperforming their energy. It's simply by making them burn more energy in relationship to how much energy you're burning, being more efficient. So yes, form of control. Anytime you control somebody, if you just wanna hulk out and hold them down with your muscles, you can do that to a degree until your energy gets depleted. But if you're using better angles, if you're using, uh, with those better angles, you're achieving better mechanical strength. You know, you're also making your opponent at the same time more mechanically weak. You're also becoming faster because you have the better angles, better entry points the better sweeps, the easier sweeps. That is a form of control that causes your partner to have to use more energy than you. 
So even if you're not necessarily holding them down, sometimes you could be, but even if you're not holding them down, if you're just getting the better angles every time, they will, your opponent will fade. They will break. And you can almost feel it when you're rolling with people. If you're just ahead of them, they they will try to like speed up or become or you or use more power more strength and when that's still not enough you can almost see their will break and then it's like fuck it i'm not fast i'm tired you know whatever and then they crumble and then you can take advantage of them angles yeah in that sense they can be used to fatigue the person but also you can change an angle and someone who is much stronger than you you can find a point that you surpass their strength in a particular angle right so I'm never going to manhandle any of the people that I'm rolling with unless I'm in the kids class. But <laughs> I I can find if I'm – I think I talked about it in one of the other episodes. If I'm – a great example is when you're going for an arm bar from mount and you turn, you fall back, and they lock their arms up. If I'm trying to just go straight back with that arm to break that grip, I can't get it on most people. So I have to change the angle, and as soon as I change that angle, whatever that – does whatever muscles that means they have to use instead that allows me the weaker opponent to be stronger in that situation and and i think the easiest form to explain why angles matter is frames i think that's the easiest for the white belt listener to understand right if somebody frames like let's say let's say you're inside mount and somebody puts a form across your collarbone neck area maybe let's for also if we're going like real beginner what what is a fr- when you say a frame what do you mean by so that? So a frame is a structural post between you and your opponent, right? So you're not necessarily using your muscles to hold the opponent away. You're you may be putting let's say elbow to shoulder, and that's that's a, there's a bone there that can take that weight and bear that pressure for you. You're not like just using your triceps or something mm-hmm. like that. Same thing with a forearm across the neck and collarbone. It's not so much that you're strong enough to keep them away is that that frame structurally speaking is very very powerful and the opponent can't break that or at least not as easily frames however so when you're a white belt and you learn about frames you try using them and it works really well against other white belts but then when you roll with like a purple belt they don't work and that's because once you frame on somebody that's got a little bit of experience they change the angle at which they're applying the pressure and your frame crumbles. So if I'm pushing, um, you know, straight into the frame, your frame may be able to hold me. But if I get to a different angle and I push down on your frame, then your frame fails. That's one of those frustrating lessons where you find ways to frame as a new person, and it's great because you're thinking, I, I'm finally creating space, and like I have a bubble that I can hold off and have my own personal safe zone while I plan out my next movement and then once you start to find someone who just goes past that and then to explain to you you're like wait what did you do to get past my frame because it's pretty solid no one else can do that and then they just go well well, what I did was I just instead of going right into it I just maybe went up and then down a little right and you're like wait what (laughs) yeah I just went up maybe two inches and then applied some pressure downwards and that's what collapsed my frame frame. yeah yeah that's what I did (laughs) Oh, I live in a glass house. Pretty much, yeah. And then, you know, the people that are really good at framing, like Kyotera, is a is a particularly excellent framer. Um, if you watch his matches, especially against the bigger guys, it's not so much that he's not stronger than those guys. You know, he's a very small guy, but he does an excellent job with framing, creating, you know, creating, he, he, he not only frames, 
but he reframes all the time. So the moment that you feel that there's a frame between you and him or his opponents, I've never grappled with him, but um, his opponents feel, realize where the frame is and they try to adjust to beat that frame. Like you talked about, like going a couple inches above and then pressuring down. He then just reframes because you adjusted the position. You've changed the angle that you're most efficient in. He has to adjust his frame so that his frame is in that same angle. Hmm. And he's very good at that. Right. Is there someone that comes to mind that you rolled with in your past and immediately realized what true pressure is or control control where you just felt you could not execute your plan at all everything you were doing was shut down (laughs) so um you know i i've if you say no you'll sound like a cocky no oh no oh no 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 and and i will say that uh when i was a blue belt uh, this is not the guy that i i want to discuss but you know, talk about like not being cocky or anything. When I was a blue belt, um, I had just gotten a blue belt. I was 14, something like that, 13, 14. I don't remember. Um, I was I was grappling. I was doing well with most people. And there was this guy that, uh, you know, it was usually like a really tough match. But I was I was finally like edging up past him and getting better like to where it would be a fight, but I would win. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, this one particular day, he mounted and he put the hooks from the mount and he hipped in and he put pressure and I could not get out. I could, there's no reason why I couldn't. I had the ability to do so, but I felt that pressure and I felt that control and I, like I gave in, like my mind crumbled, right? I was like, (laughs) there is no escape. Well, it wasn't so much that as it was, you know, like fuck this guy for holding Oh, you're me. just frustrated. I was and just angry yeah, I was just angry, you know, like how dare he do something like this. So like that was the last time I walked off the mats because of a roll. Like that was it. Because then I left and then I was pissed off that I walked off the mats. You know, so then I just added to it. It was a whole ball of issues. But anyways, it hasn't happened since then. But um so no, it's not so much that that I'm cocky. It's just I've I have a lot of a lot of experience and I felt a lot of that. I tell you guys all the time any black belt out there, myself included, the only reason why they're a black belt is they've put in a lot of time and they've lost more than, than you guys have, you know, mm-hmm. experience, you know, hard-earned experience. But no, so like, so I'm very, very good with Neon Belly and I, I can exert lots of pressure and lots of power. And, and usually if I get somebody in Neon Belly, they're not getting out. So a few years ago, maybe seven years ago, I was at Stambowski's and I know I bring him up a lot on the show, but... Um, spent a lot of time training with him and he he put neon belly on me and his neon belly is different than how I do it right and he saw me doing it and he asked you know why are you doing this so I'm like oh because it's super painful I can deliver all this pressure what way were you doing it so there are actually three ways three approaches to neon belly you can do where you focus your knee and um, the sternum so, so you could kind of crush in the sternum is very painful. That's a very old, old school approach. You have the the more new age approach where your shin goes across the hip and you're actually putting shin on belly and you're going from hip to hip. It's not as heavy. It's not as tight. It's not as pressured, but it's much more stable. So you don't lose in your belly as often. And there is like the, the blend, right? And that's kind of what I do now is the blend. I used to do... Um, let me guess the sternum one. Yeah. 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 And uh, 
And he's like, no, no, no. He goes, like, do it this way. And he showed me how he does his, which is how I do mine now. Um, but he did it on me, right? Which was fine. Like I said, I have no problem being being the uki, being a dummy or anything like that. So he put this knee on belly and he, like, he would just get heavier and heavier and heavier. And at no point, I was like, oh, my ribs are going to break. You know, usually that's what people tell me when I put knee on belly. And then I was like, I felt like my ribs are going to pop or something. It wasn't so much that I felt that. It it just felt like, you know, like you watch like, uh, you know, a TV show and there's like this huge gravity. People can't move. You know, they're stuck to the ground. That's kind of like how I felt. I was obviously able to move, but it just felt like my entire body was just sinking further and further into the ground. <laughs> and and like I said, it wasn't like, oh, you know, oh, my ribs going to break. It was more like, I'm just going to die. Like, this is how I go. It's just, I'm going to go from having shape to just going... <laughs> flat to the mat, you know, um, like an animation or something. Um, and, and, and I told him, I was like, man, this is super heavy, you know? And then, you know, over the years he's done side mount, he's done top mount and his pressure is never such that it feels like something's going to break, but always in a way that it makes you feel weak and powerless. And, like you're just there, like you're just exist. You're just a dummy for his, mm. you know, for his play. Hmm. He's not a heavy guy either. He's he's tall, but I don't yeah, know weight wise. He's yeah, probably around he, like two hundred. Yeah, one ninety, two hundred. Yeah, he used to be bigger. I think I think his biggest. He told me things like two twenty, two twenty five. Right. Um, back when he was like in competitive shape and stuff. But yeah, no, I think he's he walks from probably one ninety to two hundred. So, what match comes to mind for you? What match or matches, cup name you can name a couple, that show control being exhibited perfectly so someone could listen and then just go watch these videos and see? So anything anything in Hydra Gracie, especially circa 2006, 2007, 2008, um, the, you know, Hydra was like a wet blanket on people. He got on top of them. Or, or even if he was in the bottom, it didn't matter. These people couldn't do anything to him. I think Hodger displayed specifically in those years, but in his, throughout his whole career, but particularly in those three years, four years there, he was uh, in such high-level dominance, high-level control that he made world-class, you know, complete savage black belts look like white belts. And it's not a knock on them. It's a praise on him. You know, um, I think anything by him you can look and, and see that um nowadays you know uh, a very form of a form of very complex um very advanced form of control is like keenan keenan cornelius you know he does his lapel guard his warm guard and he ties people up with with his gi and their gi and then they can't move that's a form of control too so not as traditional as Hajar, where Hajar was mechanical dominance uh Keenan uses the gi to tie up. You know, he's essentially creating ropes with the gi, which again, he's using the tools to, to his advantage. But um, for just sheer control, I would look at Hajar. What about no gi examples? Yeah, Hajar did no gi too. He, okay. was, he was incredible in no gi. I would look at him. Um, Gordon Ryan is very good in control in no gi. Um, it's almost like he moves slow, like molasses, um, but it doesn't matter because the people he's going with can't move fast either, you know? So. Um, obviously Gordon is not slow, but when you see him competing against these high level guys, especially in Nogi, you'd expect it to be a faster paced match. And it's not usually the case. 
speed, uh, you said he, it's like he moves slow, molasses. Mm-hmm. But I, I think a lot of times also of control being something that is done slowly. But it, do, it doesn't have to be. No. It like, goes, goes back to the tempo. That, mm-hmm. You know, Nino Shembri, um, between 94 and 99, any of his matches, he was a whirlwind. It wasn't so much that he was slow and methodical and people couldn't do anything. He was just, his mind could move at such a fast pace, thinking of the next few steps and his ability to physically execute out what was going on in his mind made him be faster so if you looked at him he was just like he was moving to places where people didn't know where he was going yet that is a form of control he's taking them so far out of their comfort zone that they can't implement their game they can't impose their will on him um cabrinha uh, look at cabrinha look at half amendus half amendus to me that might be the best example because he's not a big guy like hajer he's not a fast guy like nino He's not a strong guy like Gordon. Half Mendes is just your typical, you know, guy. You know, probably you know if you, if you didn't know, you'd think he work at, works as a barista somewhere. You know, he's <laughs> not very intimidating, but the dude exhibits a, a incredible level of control, dominance, ability to impose will, to control distance always with the better grips, always with the better angles. He's incredibly fun to watch because his control is so much higher than everybody else's he grapples with. He makes it look fun, like his matches are fun to watch. Um, he's retired from competition, though, but half a Mendes would be very good to look at, too. Okay. Well, there you guys have some people to look up. You have some examples of control. Um, that's going to wrap up all of the subject material for this episode. Closing it out, Croiler. I will not rap. New segment. You're not going to rap. You, not yet. You need to become more comfortable. I get that. <laughs> and the people people listening will be nothing but supportive, I'm sure. Yeah, I just can't rap. I don't even listen to rap. I'll stop it. <laughs> All right. Well, if you don't do that, dating tips. Oh, With Carla Gracie. <laughs> when should someone, how long should someone wait to bring a significant other to the gym? Oh, I don't know. Um, how comfortable are you with them? Let's say your first date, you bring a girl to the gym. You're like, hey, honey, have a seat there. I'm going to go roll around with a bunch of sweaty men for two <laughs> hours, and then we can go out and do something. That's probably not a good idea. For I would say, objectively, first date is a bad time to bring yes, I think um, that's a, horrible. a woman to the gym yeah. or a man. If you're going to bring your girlfriend to the gym... You know, I would probably plan it out so that I would know who's coming that night. <laughs> I would make sure that they're either all people I can beat or my friends that will allow me to beat them. To look good. Yeah. <laughs> Although that can be a double-edged sword because my friends would also probably try to embarrass me. So I'd have to be confident that my friends who want who I could trust would be there. Um, so I had to make sure it was a night when you weren't teaching. Oh, I was going to say, uh, I would make you look incredible. <laughs> um, you know, I think my best bet would just be have him come to a white belt class. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. And then she'd be like, wow, you really, really manhandled Everybody. that girl. Was she, <laughs> was she junior high? Actually, she's a freshman in high school now. Yeah. Wow. Right. Good. She was, she I think, I think if you're, if you're. You know, if you're thinking that that person is somebody that you're going to date long term, 
right? If it's not a casual thing, if it's not, if it's a casual thing, if it's somebody that's not going to be around your life for very much longer, I wouldn't even bring them around. There's no need. But I think if it's going to be something more serious and something that's going to go further, or if you're really into jujitsu, that's something that you really enjoy doing, you really love doing, they need to, they don't need to be there. They don't even need to come to the gym. But I think I would, I would have the conversation and say, hey, this is something that's important in my life. And it's something that I will dedicate, you know, one to two hours a day, every day for it. And, you know, if they're not okay with that, then, then you know, fire them. It's good advice. We fired them. Yeah. I started out as a joke, but I think that's legitimate advice for <laughs> dating tips from Croiler Gracie. Oh, we need to edit that out. <laughs> no. Well, I will edit, but I will just add music. Oh, Jesus. Don't do that. <laughs> Is that where you got those videos from grabbing the testicles? Was that in the background <laughs> there too? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is. Yep. Same videos. Oh, okay. Yeah. That explains. That explains a lot. Okay. All right. Uh, so you gave you gave some advice for videos that show and exhibit good control. Now I'm going to give advice for testicle grabbing videos. I'm going to excuse myself. No. Okay. All right. You go. I'll I'll finish up here. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or Facebook. If you have any questions that you'd like Croiler to answer, email us at justjujitsupodcast at gmail.com. That's justjujitsupodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to listen to another great jujitsu podcast, or if you want some groin grabbing videos, check out Grappling Dads at grapplingdads.com. We'll see you next week.